right, welcome to the Whole Topic Podcast. This episode is one that I know that I have a lot of questions about, and it's called Welcome to Womanhood. And I'm going to go ahead and allow Stephanie to introduce our guest, Kennedy, here. Well, I'm really excited to introduce Kennedy. Um, Kennedy and I also actually have a podcast, um, Feeding the Ones, Feeding the World, and it's more of farm wives and nutrition and food and feeding your farmer and all of those things. So I'm super excited to have Kennedy on today. She is a registered dietitian from Minnesota and um, a wealth of knowledge of all kinds of things. So she's she I have her in my back pocket and I'm always like Kennedy this is what's going on what do I need (laughs) and I'm so excited for her to be with us today yes and discussing the topic we're to do I think I'm just going to go ahead and jump into the first question and um this is to basically just describe what a monthly cycle is like from like the time you start your period what happens the process what is the beginning of the process because I know like I said earlier before we even pressed record I didn't even know that until I had my sixth kid. And that's really sad, like that I I had no idea. So I want my daughters and I know there's a lot of women out there that have talked to me. They want their daughters to be educated on this. And just before you answer that, I also want to say Kennedy does have a course that she's going to talk about more at the end of this podcast to share if anybody wants to know more information on that. So the first question is, what is the monthly cycle? What happens week by week? All right. So sorry, you'll hear my little one in her jumper behind us, but essentially what's going on. Well, let me back up. So when I do education about this, I talk with women across the country. This was my first presentation I did down in Kansas two years ago now. Um, and that's when Kennedy and I I met. (laughs) Yes. And when I did this education, it was sparked by my own journey with PCOS. So until I was 21, I didn't really have any understanding of how this worked either, because why would I, why did I need to? So once I was diagnosed with PCOS and my physician had actually said, like, you likely will never have your own babies. I was like, you know what? We're going to do a little bit more education here on what I can do as a dietitian, and we'll look more into it. So, um, again, I was 21 when I learned all this. So I learned that your actual menstrual cycle begins the first day of your period, not the day after it ends. So I had no idea that that even was relevant literally until I was 21 years old. So we have four phases of our cycle. We've got the menstrual, follicular, ovulatory, and luteal phases, and various things are happening in those. So week to week, essentially your hormones are fluctuating and they peak right at about ovulation and then they fall and they're at their lowest when you're actually menstruating. So um, as you begin your period, so that first week of your cycle, your hormones are at the absolute lowest and jumping right into it we have done a lot of research that talks about like exercise and our cycle. And this is something that's really, really new because previously they didn't focus on women. We only focused on men and exercise and research and what that looked like. So we, as women had previously been told like, Oh, if you're cramping or if you don't feel good, when you have your period, you don't have to work out. You shouldn't work out, whatever. What we have learned from research is that week that you're actually menstruating with your hormones being the actual lowest that they ever will be, you are more likely to PR, you are less likely to become injured, you are more flexible, your recovery time is better. So your inflammation, your ability to get rid of it is going to be improved if you do your hardest workout on the weeks that you have your period. So then Hmm. after that, your period and your hormones just... I might have to take her out of there. Your hormones just gradually build up. So if we think of it like a hill, essentially as you ovulate, those hormones are at their highest. And what we want to do is focus on various nutrition strategies during those times. So let's focus, you know, hone in right away on that menstrual cycle phase. So as we're actually like losing blood in that phase, our uterine lining is is shedding, you know, kind of trying to turn over what would have been a healthy pregnancy if we had become pregnant. Um, but because we didn't, we're shedding that lining, um, in that phase, because we actually have true menstruation, what we want to do is we want to focus really heavy on red meat, those iron rich foods, magnesium, Mm -hmm. and then antioxidants. So I, you'll learn when I talk about fruits and vegetables, I refer to them as their function. So antioxidants rather than fruits and vegetables, because I try to get people to pull away from looking at food, like carbohydrates or proteins or whatever. Um, so what we're doing by using those strategies is we're reducing inflammation in our body. So again, we already are at our lowest level for inflammation, but why not just do a little extra for ourselves? 
We're also focusing on iron and magnesium. So those are two really crucial things that are lost while we menstruate and while we actually bleed. So red meat is one of our most useful tools. It's the most easily absorbed form of iron and B12 that we can give our bodies. Um, And then magnesium, of course, is lost in blood. So focusing on things like black beans, lentils, quinoa, um, dark chocolate. I'm trying to think of a couple other ones, Brazil nuts, various things like that, spinach, dark leafy greens, sauteed in butter. I usually tell people all of those things are really beneficial for us to focus on because they replenish those stores. So it's not unusual again, to have mild cramping with our period. And I know we'll talk more about that later but it's not unusual to have those things. And that's where magnesium comes into play. So usually when I'm talking with people and if at any point in their cycle or they're even a man or whatever, um, if they have headaches, migraines, Charlie horses, muscle cramping, and things like that, the first thing I go to is magnesium for them. So magnesium rich foods are going to benefit any variation of cramping in your body. I don't know if you guys want to stop me before I go to the next one. Um, the majority of Americans today are magnesium deficient. So when, what she's getting on right now with magnesium is killer. That would be like the very Mm -hmm. first thing that I would ever go to for cramps is your magnesium and your food and your gut before you ever go to anything else. And I think she's spot on with the magnesium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard that too. This too. So I talk a lot about like aluminum containing deodorants and how it inhibits magnesium absorption. And that is my jam. Yes. That's the first yes. thing she said um, when we met was she was like, get your alu- aluminum free deodorant. And everyone was like talking. She's like, I'm serious. Get rid of them. <laughs> so Kennedy, along that, you kind of touched on some of them, but what are some of the foods that we should be eating during and leading up to our cycle? So you gave us a bunch of different foods, um, but are this certain foods that we should be eating as we are approaching? And then once we're on it, that will really help us and our dog. Yeah. Good question. Yes. So like I said, in each phase of your cycle, different things, metabolically, physiologically, you know, hormonally, all of those things are happening. So like we said, you know, during your menstrual cycle, obviously we're losing iron or I guess iron and magnesium too, but we're losing blood intern iron and, and magnesium and such. So we've covered that now moving into the follicular phase, the next phase, the week after your periods ended. So that's about days eight through 16 for most people. And I'll, again, this is more tangent that I'll go off on later about how I feel about cycles today. Um, but in the, in the follicular phase, your body is like as quiet as it's going to be. So it's not necessarily that your hormones are low in that phase either, but remember they're still gradually building up to that hill because it's the week before ovulation. So kind of starting to chug up that hill. And at that point, all you really need to be focusing on is making sure that your plates are complete. You've got protein, carbohydrate, good quality fat. So when I talk about that, I mean, full fats. So I think as a dietitian, people, think that I'm going to recommend to them low fat diets and they're only going to be cooking with oils and what have you. But as a dietitian, in my professional opinion, I want you having, you know, a minimum of two to three eggs per day. We're going to prioritize choline, which is important for memory and brain development and cognition, especially for anybody who's technically within their childbearing years. Um, I want full fat dairy, fatty cuts of fish, nuts, and seeds. I want flaxseed and chia seeds, butters, peanut butters, etc. I don't necessarily want you having like ham spray or, you know, those things where we can cut corners on calories because fat fosters female reproductive hormones. So I'll touch on that later on. Um, but like I said, I want all components at your plate. I want protein, carbohydrates, and fats. But then, like I said in the beginning too, I separate fruits and vegetables from carbohydrates. So people have been taught, I think, to think about it as if they were diabetic and, and, potentially that benefits you, but separating fruits and vegetables from carbohydrates makes us consume more fruits and vegetables. So as a dietitian too, I talk a lot about being plant-based and I do not mean that as I want you vegetarian or vegan. Most people that are are plant-based are just eating more fruits and vegetables day to day. And that's what we're looking for. So follicular phase, just make sure at every meal and every snack, you're hitting as many components as possible. It's also not abnormal for our estrogen to rise at that point and see a little bit of bloating. So then again, just refocusing and reframing to make sure you're hitting all of your water too. So half your body weight in ounces of water is really important. So then we go to the ovulatory phase. So that third week, essentially for most people, it's day 17 through 21. So we've kind of been told that you ovulate at day 14 and that might be true for some people, but cycles are very individualized. And again, we go into that later. 
but we focus at that point on gut health. So it's really important that we're getting fermented foods in. So we're doing kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi, cottage cheese, yogurt, pickles, anything pickled, cooking with vinegar, finding ways to get vinegar in there. So I don't necessarily consider vinegar to be a fermented food, but it's going to help. It's going to give some prebiotics, which are the basically the food that feeds the probiotics, those live cultures. Um, in that sourdough counts, if we can cook with sourdough bread or cook with sourdough and make, you know, two slices of sourdough bread, sourdough brownies, if you want something sweet and you want to get both fermentation and magnesium in there, what have you, um, it's important because, you know, as we think about the physiology of our bodies, we have uterine contractions that are going on while we menstruate and while we ovulate, but on the backside of our reproductive system, we have our intestines. So it's not uncommon to see, um, you know, diarrhea or looser stools during ovulation and during menstruation because of that peristalsis, that uncontrollable movement of our intestinal tracts. Um, so that's where gut health really comes in again, making sure you're well hydrated and then hitting your fiber. So when I talk about gut health, um, obviously fermented foods is a big piece of it. So are the prebiotics. So again, the food for the probiotics, but I also want us to really hit on fiber. So when I talk to people, I say, if I were to give you a number, I want 30 different strains of plants per week. I don't need you counting. Just think logically about it. And people get really timid about it, I guess is the adjective I would use because their brain goes, I have to have 30 different fruits and vegetables. And that's not what I mean. I mean, I want you having whole grains, various grains, beans, legumes, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds. If it came from the ground, it's counting as a plant food. And again, the more fiber we have, of course, you know, preventing constipation, but the more fiber we have, the more diversity lives in that gut too. Any questions before I go to the last phase? Yes. I actually do have a question. Okay. So you mentioned something about ovulation and mm -hmm. um, how it differs from person to person. What mm -hmm. would you say to the person that is using the online calculators? Because like, mm -hmm. I know that that's something, even when I was calculating some pregnancies, like what was that going to look like? And you're saying it's different from month to month. Because I remember like with a couple of my kids, I know I got pregnant almost directly after my period ended. Like there was no question in my mind because I knew what happened when it happened. <laughs> and yep. so like, and you know, I was told I couldn't get pregnant by nursing. And, and so like, what would you say to the person who's like, maybe like tracking for that 14th day, but missing the mark completely? Mm -hmm. So that's a really good question. And again, I kind of think about it like a, a, as a, you know, we can do all the calculations in the world and I could calculate your macronutrient intake and your caloric needs for you, but I don't necessarily know. And that's where intuitive eating comes in. It's kind of the same with that ovulation tracker. So instead of doing that, there's methods. And of course I'm blanking on the name where you use your cervical mucus to tell, am I in my fertile window or not? So if you are in that fertile window, it's a little bit more like milky, they call it. Um, I'm of course not familiar with that either because I got pregnant thinking that I was never going to get pregnant, but, um, th there are different strategies and I would opt for those too. And we can talk about those later on when we talk about like my opinion on, um, why periods have changed so much. Okay. Well then I think before we ask you the next question, I want to kind of get Ari Ariel's thoughts on this one. Um, and it has to do because it kind of starts with, I think we've touched on food a little bit earlier, but the, the one question was about her young girl starting to bud early and um, she's not sure why, is it something she should be afraid of that her child's developing earlier? Like I said earlier, before we even started the call, like I started my period at 11 and mm -hmm. I have not had any infer like infertility issues at this point. And then I have people I know that started way later and have had, so I kind of want to get Ariel's thought on that specific question um, when it comes to young girls, maybe budding earlier than some people think they should. Sure. And that's kind of subject to each person. So I know a lady who was saying that her daughter was budding at 11 and that was too early for her because she started at 15 and she thought she needed to put her daughter on birth control then because she was starting to bud at 11. And I would just caution everybody, whatever you think is too early, seek a professional's advice before you start doing any kind of treatment to your child. Um, I, it was interesting cause I was talking with my niece about this. She's a behavioral therapist and I brought it up that, you know, somebody had called in and said, you know, their daughter was budding at nine. And she was like, well, I started budding at nine, but that was a sensory dysregulation. And I was like, what? 
And she was, and she went into it. Any illness that's related with sensory dysregulation can also cause early blooming. So it's not just, and for her, it was, um, she needed to get off of the meats, the hormones that were in meats and um, in the processed milk and in different things like that. And once she got off of that, she she didn't start her period until she was 14. So, I mean, she started blooming at nine, but because she got off of other kinds of hormone-laced foods, she was able to have a regular period at 14. But she did say that working with um, uh, mental illnesses, POTS, EDS, PCOS, uh, fibromyalgia, or any sister illnesses with these, autoimmunes will mess with your regulation. Um, ADHD, autism, all of these things mess with your hormones. So seeking multiple professionals, not just trying to say, oh, it's my food or sure, start with your food, but maybe you should be looking into several different things because it's it could be a lot of different things. Yeah. So and just realizing, I think something too is like, I'm not a professional by any any means, but I've, I've seen, and I've heard of a lot of women that have started at so many different ages. And it's like, we can either freak out on it, or we can just be like, okay, so maybe they are budding at nine, but they're not going to start their period till whenever, like my daughter started, well, at least sooner than I was ready for, (laughs) but it it took her a couple months and it's still taking her a couple months. Um, I guess this would kind of lead into another question. I don't know that I've necessarily written down. So Kennedy, this one is going to be for you. When a girl starts her periods, it usually takes her a couple months to like regulate out. Yeah, regulate. Well, you know, in this particular instance, it was like, I think it was like 15 or 16 days between start to finish. Like she started it and then she went, you know, 15 or 16 days without it. And then she went on it and she was on for seven days. And then she went off for almost a whole month. Um, and I guess in this scenario, the only thing I could think of, like, is it was coming closer to when mine started. And so I wondered, like, does it have something to do with us being in the same house? Or is, you know, when should a mom be concerned if a period's too wig, wig, wigged out, I guess is the question. Yeah, that's a good question. And that one might be a little bit outside of my scope, but in my professional opinion, staying within that, what I think is probably your body taking a little bit of time to adjust and like kind of, you know, figure itself out because it is such a shock to our system physiologically with what's going on. Um, Another thing with the beginning of menstruation too is with research, what we do know is a lot of that has to do with body fat percentage. So some girls, although they might look thinner, they might look heavier body fat percentages, um, will usually trigger the development of like your actual cycle starting for the first time. So that's why every person is so different. Now there are various things in like our environment, endocrine disruptors, plastic, BPA, aluminum, et cetera, et cetera, that can also inhibit and kind of mess with our hormones and things like that too. So, you know, if it's the beginning of their cycles and it's kind of, you know, only a few months into it and it's still dysregulated, I don't necessarily know that that's something that I would freak out about, but after, my gosh, I don't know that I necessarily have a time frame for you, but if they were having severe PMS symptoms, um, painful, painful, like debilitating, cramping blood clots and those things, that's when I would maybe call a physician. In my professional opinion, what I think about that is the, your physician will listen to you, but then I think they will say, here's some birth control and they won't go to the root cause. So what I usually like to see is, you know, looking back and reflecting on my own journey, I wish I had never gone on birth control because I do feel like that is the culprit for my PCOS development. Um, I went from estrogen dominance, getting on a high progesterone pill to knock that down and came out with high testosterone and PCOS. So, um, I would have wished that in my own personal journey, I had gotten labs ran immediately. Now, when you go to a physician and you ask for these labs, a lot of times women or girls are denied because they don't see a need for it. I've sent people who have felt like they needed a mammogram and they were told that they were under 30, so they don't need one, various things like that. So um, there are a few companies that we could link in the show notes if that's something you'd be interested Mm -hmm. in, that you could do a a home hormone blood sampling and you send it out and 20 days later, I believe it comes back and we'll tell you kind of where you are. 
Um, obviously make sure that you bring that to somebody qualified enough to interpret that for you. So a dietitian, a physician, a holistic practitioner of some nature, um, to do that for you. But I mean, again, I think it's really individualized and that's kind of a hard stopping point as to when I would say, go, go call a physician because I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in them, um, in, in regards to this. And I don't believe that it's their fault. I believe that it's the, the cold, hard clinical education that they receive. The training they get. It's, yeah. it's all they know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good answer. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, this kind of mm-hmm. goes along with just their start time, but are there any signs, you know, my oldest is going to be 12 next month. So I'm just starting to see signs of puberty happening. Um, and what are, are there any signs that lead up to saying she's probably getting close to starting? So there are things changing. She's getting beds. She's getting different things. <laughs> um, but is there anything that's kind of like where I can maybe prepare her? Um, because when I did say something the other day about when I noticed some changes, I told her, I said, just be prepared that you could potentially start soon. Um, and she was like, wait, what? (laughs) I mean, we're very open in our house, but she was, it it took her off guard. So is there any signs that I can be looking for to tell her that it's getting close? Yeah, that's another one that might be outside my scope of practice that I'm not super familiar with just because I don't necessarily focus in on the pediatric component of it. Like when we actually begin it, I'm more of your, you come to me to prevent or (laughs) maintain it with food. Yes. Okay. Do you have any, um, do any of you ladies have any book recommendations for, for early menstruation for girls? Because I know I, I did the American girls with my daughter when she was starting. And again, we tried to make it a very openly talked about thing. We don't really use the term. Yeah. It's nothing to, it's natural. It's life. And yeah, this I just want life. to point out here before Kennedy gives her awesome book recommendations, because I'm sure you have them. Like <laughs> I don't, that's yeah. why we asked you to come up here because I just, I want to know this. And I think there's so many moms I talk to that are like, we need someone to be able to teach us this, mm-hmm. but that little pooch that we women carry around <laughs> carries our uterus. It carries everything. It's cute. And if your man doesn't find it attractive, he's kind of a hothead anyway so <laughs> find a new man <laughs> seriously but like so not many promoting divorce <laughs> but so many I want my girls I want my girls to like really value their bodies and really right. value the shape the shape the beauty right. of it I mean of course we don't the, we know obesity is a horrible thing in America but on the same side of it having a pooch and having like I'm calling it a pooch it's a cute pooch um, is just such a beautiful part of womanhood. <laughs> I love you, Andrea. <laughs> I love having Andrea. Yeah, I would have never called it that, but now I'm going to start yes, calling it but that. But you know what I mean, Kennedy? Like, it's one of those things that it's like, I feel like women are so ashamed of. Like, that is mm-hmm. such a beautiful yeah. part of your fertility. And if a good man sees it, I know when my husband sees it, he's like, all right, that's where my babies are going. Like, and that's attractive to him. And that's how I, like, I don't want to tell my daughters that right now, but like, <laughs> I want them to value themselves enough to be able to, to know that and to know that if any man ever treats them any differently, or even women tell them it needs to be differently, that that is not okay. And they should not listen to that. So um, that's your book recommendations, or if you have any thoughts on that. <laughs> I love it. We do a song with Ada James about like, so I backstory on me too, on top of everything I've got going on with PCOS, I had about a 10 year struggle with anorexia. And that's what kind of made me decide to accidentally fall in love with nutrition. So, um, (laughs) we have started with her just like talking about her body already. She's six months old. She has no idea what we're doing, but we sing a little song with her. And every time we hear it, like it stops her, she'll, she'll cry and she'll hear it and she'll be good. So we just do that with her preventatively right away. But again, I think, I mean, you alluded to it, the obesity is an epidemic. And truthfully, I believe that it's culprit of ultra processed foods. So I use that term rather than processed foods because meat, milk, eggs, cheese, whatever, it's all processed, but ultra processed is like, you know, boxed, whatever that stuff that we know isn't wish necessarily additives yeah yes Uh, again that's why I became a dietitian we do a lot of stuff with Adeline to prevent any of that from happening um and what we'll do with her is just making sure that you know we choose more 
whole foods first. We educate her about, you know, her body and exactly what you just said. But then on top of that, having those hard conversations that talk about our menstrual cycle, um, there's a book called Roar and it's not necessarily for um, children. It's for mothers by Stacey Sims. So she actually went to school for similar things as I did, but she kept going and got her PhD. And now she's one of the only researchers that actually researches exercise and women specifically. So we talk a lot about like the anabolic window. That's that exercise post 60 minutes of exercise where we have to refuel. Well, Stacey Sims conducted tons and tons of research and has gone through systematic reviews and whatnot. Um, and she found that that 60 minute window is specific to men, not women. So women actually have a 30 to 40 minute anabolic window, but oh, in fairness. Yeah. So it talks about, um, like various, (laughs) various things to do as far as exercise. So again, that's where I learned, like, you're more likely to PR, you're more flexible, you have better recovery of lower inflammation, et cetera, when you're on your period. Whereas most common day folk will say, Oh, if you're, you, you know, you're cramping or whatever, don't go to the gym. Well, on top of that cramping, isn't necessarily normal either. So um, roar would be my number one recommendation for that. And then the rest, I mean, I'm a super science-based gal. So honestly, I just read a lot of research and that's not fun for anybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, that's good to know. Um, so then I guess that's going to lead into the next question. I was talking to one of my sisters the other day and we were talking about like how our periods, when it came up, it was such a shock and like, we didn't even know. And that's all we were just handed the pads and good luck. You have this for the rest of your life. <laughs> And I don't, I don't need, my mom might've not been trained. So I can't, I'm not going to say that like she did her best. Um, that's what I'm going to say. But with my daughters, like she, my, my sister, Rachel was like, you know, it was, I heard of a lady who actually put an entire basket together and she like for her daughter and she explained to her and she kept like, she kind of warned her and stuff like that. Then when the time came, the, the little girl already knew she was already prepared and it was more of like, okay, this is a cool entrance into womanhood. And she had all the things ready for me. I would like to have, I'm not making a party basket, just not a party. <laughs> However, <laughs> party. However, that was very sweet. And if some of you moms might be great at that, whatever you do what you want, but I would like, I would love to have like tinctures or teas or like things like that. What can I be like? Okay. So to my daughter's, Hey, this is the phase you're in. And these are some great things. If you, if you feel any need or drawn to take some of these tinctures, what would those be for you? So I kind of want your thoughts on the tinctures and herbs, herbs. Yes. And that help balance emotions. That's a big thing. Yes, for sure. Um, but again, so taking those approaches that I previously talked about those specific foods in each phase of your cycle, those are all things that should prevent any of those PMS symptoms, cramping, blood clots, those things. And usually my people that, you know, I work with are anywhere from 20 to 50 something. They usually will say two months of consistency with that method and they're regular, their PMS symptoms are kind of gone, if not quite decreased. Um, but some things like preventatively spearmint leaf tea, that is something that is really great for excreting excess testosterone from your body. Um, ginger tea is really beneficial or ginger in general is really beneficial for anti-inflammatory benefits. Um, pumpkin seeds, and I'm trying to think what else pumpkin seeds with flaxseed. That's another thing that's going to help excrete excess testosterone. And then sunflower seed and sesame seeds are going to work with estrogen. So, um, that's part of my course as well. It's called seed cycling. So it's something that's rather new. It's a more holistic approach to encouraging a regular period. And that you do sunflower seeds and um, sesame seeds together for 14 days. And then you do pumpkin seeds and flaxseed together for 14 days. And let's say you have a 32 day cycle. It doesn't matter. 14 days on 14 days on the next one, you start over again. It will usually say three months in the literature, but again, two months of doing that is going to coerce regular cycles. So 28 to 30 day cycles for most people. Uh, But as far as like teas and herbs go, you really can't go wrong with most things like ginger, turmeric, um, chamomile, spearmint tea, et cetera. Those things are all really anti-inflammatory. And then of course, helping regulate estrogen and testosterone and things like that. Okay. That's, that's honestly some of those things I've heard of about like quite a bit of what you said in the beginning, I have it. And that's just really Mm -hmm. good to know. Yeah. So Ariel, what about you? What, what would you contribute to your daughter's 
arsenal of tools, herbal tools. So as an herbal medic, I'm usually the last person that people see. Um, they usually try every other option and usually they've already tried nutrition. They've already tried all the pills. They've tried everything and something is still going on with their body. Something's not regulating, right? So not every herb is going to be for every person. Um, you have to do your research into the herbs. You have to figure out where you have to look at your blood clotting. You have to look at um, how much are you bleeding? What color is it? What's the consistency of it? And you have to think about all those things before you start going into the herbal realm. And I highly recommend that you get with an herbal practitioner to verify these things are okay, especially if you're taking any kind of medication. If you're taking any kind of medication, talk with your doctor and your herbal practitioner at the same time and get it get it together because you don't want to mix these these herbal medicines are strong ones that I'm about to recommend. So the first one that I would recommend with children specifically is maca root powder. And that one balances your hormones. That one's fantastic. I've seen huge results with maca root. Um, you can you can encapsulate it and take it in a pill form if you'd like. That one's my favorite way to take that one. But then um, there's someone called Aviva Ram. She's um, pretty popular in the herbal world with Chinese medicine. Not that I prescribe to all the Chinese medicine, but they've worked with herbs enough to know what they're doing with. They definitely with all have some ideas. Yeah, they do. Um, so this is a pelvic uterine tonic, and these are all pretty heavy herbs that I'm about to list. Um, and some of them I'm not going to be able to pronounce correctly. So we'll put them all in the show notes so that mm -hmm. you can see what they are. Um, but the first one is a peony. Um, it's PNA lactophora. Um, it's also known as Shao Yao. And that one is the number one for regulating uterine flow. Um, that's the one that in this formula is going to be the best. Now, normally you don't just take one herb. You want to synthesize your herbs because they work together. Um, usually you would want three, at least in any formula that you're making, especially if you're making a homemade tincture. There's quick free courses online if you're going to make a tincture at home. I highly recommend taking that before mixing it up, or you can go online. We'll have some recommendations for herbal shops that you can grab these tinctures from, but the peony is huge. Um, and then the saw palmetto, false unicorn, golden seal. All of those in a formula are a great tincture for getting yourself regular, getting your hormones regular. And this is, again, if you've tried all the other things. Um, beyond that, there's another formula, same with the peony, but then there's ladies mantle, partridge berry, and herbamansa. And those are all fantastic herbs, um, uterine tonics. Red raspberry leaf is, it's an affinity for the uterus. So it wants to help your uterus do its thing. I would say if you're going to take any tea, take red raspberry leaf. It's so gentle on the uterus and it's so nourishing for your body. Um, but aside from that, the maca root and magnesium, if you're not doing those things, I think those would be the places I would start with my child. If nothing else worked, if the diet didn't work, and exercise didn't work, I would try maca root and then I would go on to magnesium and then I would consult for that formula that I gave you. And those are more of the extreme cases. Okay, so you're so basically what you're saying is try Kennedy's route. And if yep. that is not punching it and your child's still really right. struggling, then go a little deeper with some of these other things, but don't jump those, jump right. the gun using the more like Potent yeah, features. the other, the other herbs are, are medicines and they're not to be taken lightly. And I think you should consult an herbal practitioner when you go to do those herbs, um, just because you don't want to mess that up. Yeah. You know, and then just on another note with the magnesium too. So when I was in my undergrad degree, we had to focus on um, one specific micronutrient. I chose magnesium by complete accident. So it's something that I have honestly like fallen in love with and done a lot of research on. So what we know is that our body naturally only absorbs about 30% of our dietary magnesium anyways. And for most Americans, they're not getting enough because it's in things mm -hmm. like nuts, seeds, tuna, salmon, you know, those not so fun things, dark leafy greens, what have you. Um, and people aren't getting enough. So we're already delayed in that. Now, if we think about it logically, 
magnesium is a weaker metal. So if we cook with things like aluminum or other metals that aren't, you know, super beneficial for us, that has to kind of fight it. So I'll use aluminum as my example. So when we use aluminum containing deodorants, aluminum is a stronger metal with magnesium and it decreases the absorption of magnesium even further within our body. Not to mention the strong correlation we have with aluminum and uh, breast cancer. So, you know, putting aluminum containing deodorant into your armpits that are already near your breast lymph nodes is really um, not something we want to be doing. So again, getting rid of the aluminum containing deodorants and opting for a more natural one is going to be crucial. Now with that, people struggle and they don't usually last on the natural deodorant train because it's not as effective because aluminum is that poor clogging agent in that deodorant. So just keep your stick with you, give it two weeks, shop around for various ones that work for you, but it might be something that you have to reapply. You've got to go through the two-week trial of kind of being stinky. Um, but you, I mean, with that alone, you should notice less cramping, less Charlie horses, migraines, headaches, et cetera, because your absorption of magnesium or your body's ability to absorb it should increase or improve by doing that as well. I don't know if anyone has heard of, has heard of this, but I saw someone when you switch from, and I've never done it, but when you switch from an aluminum filled deodorant and switch to a more natural one to do a, is it ben, Benonite clay? Um, Benonite clay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and put it on your arm and leave it on there and do it a couple of times and it removes all of the toxins. And then you usually don't have that stink thing problem that you have when you're transitioning. That's interesting. Yeah. I've never tried it, but yeah. I just didn't know if someone else had. I had, um, uh, when I was still training at our local gym, I had another personal trainer who, um, transitioned from aluminum containing to non-aluminum containing cause she was having Charlie horses on her century mile rides so bad she would fall off her bicycle. So, um, she switched to non-aluminum containing deodorant and she got lumps in her armpits that were so painful. They weren't sores, but they hurt like a sore almost. And it was the heavy metals detoxing. So if you think about it, if you put aluminum containing deodorant in your groin, for example, and you have the lymphs there, as you detox from that, those lymphs can potentially become swollen or whatnot. Um, so that's like the perfect thing to suggest in place of that, just to be preventative. It doesn't happen to everybody, but it's helpful. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, Kennedy, did you, did you know if there's um, a co a coefficient that goes with magnesium to help with absorption? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I want to say that it's vitamin C, but I'm not positive. So I can check with that. Vitamin C is the absorption of most things like I, like iron, it enhances the absorption of iron. So I would lean for vitamin C. There's nothing I know aside from other metals that inhibit the absorption of magnesium. What about iodine? I've heard, I like, have you ever heard of iodine going with, because my husband and I were talking to someone, I don't, I think it was like. I would say, I think he was a nutritionist. Anyways, he was mentioning that um, along with magnesium, iodine is something that most Americans like lack severely mm-hmm. to the point that they can't even absorb anything else they're taking. Have, so, you, have you any thoughts on that? I don't necessarily know that I think of it that extreme. Iodine is a major component in our thyroid function and we are seeing more thyroid dysregulation. However, if we think about dairy products, they're a great source of iodine also. And most people, not most people, some people, you know, whatever adjective we want to use there are moving away from dairy and they're moving into those plant-based alternatives. So that wouldn't shock me if we were becoming deficient in things like iodine for our thyroid health too. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, that is, yeah. So back on the lines of magnesium and even just deodorant in general, what brand of magnesium do, is there a certain magnesium that you recommend? And I already know your answer and deodorant. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I'm glad you said that stuff. Cause I forgot. So I don't love to orally supplement people with magnesium because oftentimes what I see the most is that people end up with diarrhea. And if we think about it, why take another oral supplement when we could use our skin, our largest organ as a topical resource. So I recommend either a magnesium lotion or a magnesium spray. And the company that I go through is called Modern Roots. I'll emphasize it's a Minnesota based company. Um, I actually worked there 
for about nine months because I just loved it so much. And I wanted to know as much about the products as I could. So, um, magnesium lotion is what it's called. And then it's called night night spray, but that is like when my people have trouble sleeping or Charlie horses, muscle cramps, what have you, that is my go-to resource. And most people within a week, if not less than that are seeing positive outcomes. So again, I, I can don't... attest to that. Yeah. I got yeah. night night spray because of Kennedy and it works. Like I, even if I, if I wake up in the middle of the night and my mind is just all over and I cannot fall back asleep, I will spray it on my feet. <laughs> Get all over me and it will it knocks me out we need anesthesia <laughs> my own personal drugs so um and i assume those are probably really clean yeah. products as well like okay i because i wrote that down we are going to link all of this stuff mm -hmm. um and even your course because i want you to talk a little bit more about that at the end um in the foot in the show notes mm -hmm. And then um, for a deodorant, what is your favorite brand? I would say, I know I switched to native and it's, you can get it anywhere, but if you have a better brand or not necessarily better, but one that you like better. You I know? use the modern roots one there as well. So they have both a baking soda free. So it contains DE and um, baking soda inclusive. So Meg, the owner of it, um, when I had a couple of people who ended up getting those bumps in their armpits, she said that likely that is the metals detoxing, but sometimes it can be people's sensitivity to baking soda as well. So that's why she came up with the formula with DE in it instead. Mm -hmm. So two options there. If you're worried about baking soda, you could always do the DE right away, but that one doesn't like dry out or get hard or anything like that. So I really love it. Okay. I'm going to try it. Yeah, that's, those are, that's really good to know. Okay, so when I think we touched on this a little bit, but when would you recommend? So I, I had a lot of sisters and some of them dealt with like severe, severe cramping to the point that like clotting, like I've never thought of when, and for a while, like until they were married and like way older, they didn't go get it checked out. So when would you recommend like, okay, that's severe. You probably need to take them in and get them checked out. It's not, what is not normal when a girl's starting her period? Good question. Honestly, I say like anything where it's, how do I want to say it? Like a, like a, it causes a pain reaction. Like, obviously we have some level of pain tolerance to it, but when it goes beyond that pain tolerance, that's something that's concerning. Now, again, I've kind of alluded to it. I don't have a lot of faith in our typical medical system when it comes to this, because I think that the, the true response for most physicians is going to be here's some birth control. So when that happens, I honestly would say, try to, I mean, go talk with your physician. You can tell them no birth control. That's how you feel. If you're somebody who wants to go on birth control, by all means do what works best for you and what you believe in, but a lab panel being ran first. And I can send a graphic to you guys that you can include in the show notes too, but I like a full workup, like a reproductive panel, a thyroid panel, a basic metabolic panel, CBC, um, and those kind of things to kind of see where you're at as far as those things go, because cramping, blood clots, super se uh, severe inflammation, bloating to an extent is normal, but those other things are not normal. We shouldn't have debilitating pain. That's when we start those nutrition resources. So being ahead of the game and just knowing, you know, the more anti-inflammatories we can get in things like tart, cherry juice, kefir, more fruits and vegetables, et cetera, the more things like that we can get into the diet, the more it should prevent those things from happening. Now, um, I threw this in as like a little talking point that I wanted to talk about too. And I, I am seeing more PCOS, endometriosis, um, secondary infertility and various things like this now than ever. It seems like granted, I've only been a dietitian for a handful of years. That being said, I believe that the, the birth control movement has something to do with that. But also if we talk about our gut microbiome, so remember when we're ovulating, focusing on our GI tract and our gut microbiome is something that we want to do. We have decreased our time outside and increased our screen time. And what that's done is it's lost diversity in our gut. Our hands aren't in the dirt. Our, you know, we're not getting dirty. We're chronic hand washers. We're coming off of a pandemic, um, and various things like that. And what we're seeing is lack of diversity in our gut. So that remember 70% of your immune system lives in your gut, 90% of your serotonin, that happy hormone is produced there as well. So, you know, they call our gut, our second brain. So if we're not diversifying that we're going to have negative outcomes in 
a handful of areas elsewhere too. So I say the more you can incorporate and expose your children at younger ages to fermented foods, high fiber fruits and vegetables, fatty cuts of fish. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, the more exposure, the better, better, the more ornate items, you know, beets, carrots with the skin still on, you know, we've really moved away from leaving the whole vegetable intact or the whole fruit intact because it's gross or it's dirty. Well, you're getting prebiotics that feed your gut when you don't shave off, you know, the skin of your carrot or wash the dirt off, you know, perfectly. So diversifying your gut, I think is going to be another thing that's really going to help in preventing that. And then again, those endocrine disruptors, the more we expose our kids at young ages to, you know, fragrance, BPA, um, you know, plastics and whatever else, aluminum containing things, the more we're seeing some disruptions too. There's more plastic in the environment than ever these days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then that kind of just leads to the next question, Ariel. I kind of want your thoughts on this as well. Um, so if someone is dealing with minor cramping, like, and it's, it's not extremely like terrible, mm -hmm. but it's also not enjoyable. What do you, either of you guys have recommendations for what you would give someone. Like if my daughter was like, mom, I, my stomach's hurting. What can I give her as um, relief? That's not medication, but natural. Yeah. Ariel, I'll go first because I have less than you, I'm sure. Um, so when that happens, I honestly would say like ice cold water, you know, if we think about like dehydrated cells, our cells are closed, they're dehydrated, and then they open up to accept this water and it's almost like revitalizing. So that's why we say when you wake up in the morning, 16 to 20 ounces of ice cold water can do you better than a, a glass of coffee. Um, that being said, tart cherry juice is something that I am like over the moon about just like keeper. Um, it's not something that like in the moment is going to give you instant relief or maybe even relief in the first half hour, but it's something that we use that's anti-inflammatory. It increases, um, or improves your recovery. It brings down muscle soreness, swelling, excretes free radicals, and it's a whole food source. It's literally tart cherry juice or tart cherry concentrate. So those are my go-to. I'm going to be honest for myself. Like I don't even use ibuprofen. I just kind of deal with it. Unfortunately. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I haven't used ibuprofen in years. If I do, it's, it has to be extreme. Yeah. Like I think in the last 10 years, I've used it like a handful of times, Yeah. but what are your thoughts, Ariel? Uh, this is when I would pamper myself and <laughs> use a uh, Epsom hot salt bath and hot and cold <laughs> packs <laughs> right on the tummy and your spearmint tea, your chamomile teas. Um, and then just relaxing and trying to let your body do what it's doing because it's cramping for a reason and you need to listen to why it's cramping if it was more extreme I, and it's like you're having a lot of cramping and you've seen a professional about it there are heavier herbs that's your cramp bark and your black haw those are the herbs for heavy heavy cramping um and i just want to piggyback on what you said earlier kennedy for people that don't know and my sister was one of these people that didn't know that her period was abnormal until she said something to somebody else. Like for some reason, women don't always talk to each other about their periods. Mm -hmm. We should, we should talk like, Hey, my blood was this color today. Like <laughs> we, should, we should just have those conversations and be a bit more open about it because she was bleeding through, she has a diva cup. So it's a little bit different, but if you're bleeding through a tampon or a pad in two hours, you're bleeding too much. You need to see a professional uh, pretty soon because you could have a serious condition. And so if you're going through your diva cup in an hour to two hours, you're bleeding too much. You need to go to the ER. You need to go to urgent care. You need to go in. Um, and as well, if you're having green discharge or a discharge that's very abnormal for you, go in. I know everybody doesn't like the medical system. We don't trust them nowadays because look at the liberties they've taken with our freedoms. But go see them. They have resources for you. When it gets bad, go see them. So they can at least get you started so that you can kind of navigate mm -hmm. where you need to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. Okay. So Kennedy, if people want to stay in touch with all of your goodness and your knowledge, where can they find you at? Yeah, I am most active on Instagram. I'm v.legendary, D-A-I-R-Y dot dietitian, two T's, no C. Um, otherwise, you can find me at the same website, thelegendarydietitian.com. But in my Instagram bio, there's links to my courses, my one-to-one -one coaching application, my email newsletter, all the things. And tell us yeah, a little can bit you tell about us? the course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> so the course is something that I, I'm so happy I did it. And it's just going to be something that I keep expanding on. So right now there's only three modules in it. The first one talks all about eating for your cycle. So it's everything we just talked about, but super, super in depth and goes further into like exercise at each phase. Cause again, we have been previously told like pamper yourself when you're on your period, because you know, you, you know, I think again, it's the original man's view of like, Oh, you're bleeding, you're sick and whatever. So it talks to you, it talks you through exercise on your cycle, things to incorporate various, various things like that. Then it works through intuitive eating and activity specific nutrition. So why intuitive eating plays into eating for your cycle is because I want to teach you how to understand what your cravings and what your body is telling you. So for example, you know, women catch a lot of grief, like, oh, you're craving chocolate. Are you on your period? That's actually a real thing because it's your body saying, Hey, you need some dark chocolate that has magnesium because you're losing magnesium through your blood. So I've had days where I'm like, I could saute up a whole bag of spinach right now or whatever. Um, and when you start to listen to that, you find some really, really cool and really interesting things. So that's in there incorporated with some sports nutrition and kind of tying those two together, seed cycling, and then transitioning off of birth control has its own module as well. And then further, I'll continue to expand on things like gut health and our thyroid and all of those things, because again, they're all connected. So you're still adding to the course, I assume as you go. Yes. So how much does someone, would someone pay when they get your course mm -hmm. and do they get lifetime access or how does that work? Yeah. So it's 99.99 and you have lifetime access. So any module, any download, you know, what have you that I upload in there from the time you, you know, pay and gain access, you have forever. You can download the slides. You can download the videos of me speaking all of the things. So you have lifetime access and I use teachable that's uh software. Okay. So that completes our welcome to womanhood episode. And honestly, I've learned so much. And since I'm in charge of editing the video, I'm going to listen to it again and probably take notes while I'm editing <laughs> because like, yeah. you have no idea how yeah. long I've wanted to just have, like, what do I do for my daughter? What do I do if I've ever struggled? Cause I've always had fairly easy. I I've never been one to really struggle. I don't want to jinx mm -hmm. that, but like, I've right. never had really hard cycles. Um, but just to be able to help my own girls mm -hmm. walk through this and see the process. Um, well, and even if you don't have a hard cycle, but understanding food and your cycle and what can everything Kennedy just said, you could even have a better cycle, yes. you know, when yes. you, when you're fueling your body the yeah. right way for, to prepare it for all these yeah. things. And even what you said about the magnesium, I've heard that before. And it is so true. Cause like, mm -hmm. I, I did end up getting a magnesium drink because I was like, like I can literally sit and eat like a cup of chocolate chips sometimes. And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, so maybe I need to go get the magnesium drink instead of eating the chocolate chip factory <laughs> out of business. <laughs> so I'm just really glad we did this. And yes. I know that in the future, if we have more topics to cover, I don't know about you ladies, but, but we I, are think we're getting, I think we're going to get her back on. It just is super informative yeah. to us. And I'm thankful for the knowledge that you gave us. And I know a lot of other women are going to be thankful for this knowledge yeah. as well. So thank yeah. you for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for bringing me on. This was awesome. You've been listening to the whole topic podcast to hear more, to see behind the scenes or to get a hold of us directly, visit our socials, Facebook and Instagram, the whole topic podcast. If you'd like to hear more from Andrea, visit her blog at dearmark23.com, where she talks about whole foods, whole grains, and whole living. If you'd like to hear more from Stephanie, visit theranchershomestead.com, where she talks about simple living, gluten-free recipes, and farm life. If you'd like to see more from me, visit wildandforagecare.com, where I talk about simple living, wild recipes, and natural remedies. Thank you for listening, and God bless.